One, one, we're recording. Um, hello, you're listening to On the Left, where we talk about what it's like to be a human being and an anti-capitalist, an anti-racist, an anti-sexist, and all that shit that's on the left. And joining me today is my lovely friend, Laura, uh, who is currently in Chile, and she's drinking herself a beverage. What is that? Oh, really exciting water. <laughs> hey, I'm I, poured a, I, know I'm I poured a beer. I, I will have a beer later <laughs> yeah 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 I, I, decided, I decided to stick with water this time so so laura is going to be nice and sober and i'm gonna get buzzed throughout so she might have to start asking the questions now i'll be fine um, <laughs> You'll, you will be fine you can handle it yeah i can handle it so i'm um, not, not that much but i would um Let's start by you just uh, introducing yourself. You know, what are the important things that we need to know about you <laughs> before we begin? Oh, yes. Well, my name is Laura, and I remember you asked other people how, how, how we know each other, and I know you like many of the other participants from grad like school. <laughs> I mean, I think for us, we met more at a party at the good old history headquarters back in the day, you know, house, a house that a bunch of grad students lived in. Um, we were kind of far enough apart in the programs and in totally different areas. So I never really knew you in the department. Like I more got to know you at history headquarters and then hanging out socially yeah. Uh, with our fellow fellow yeah. department friends. Indeed, yeah, we were, uh, yeah, we started out as party mates. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. basically. And yeah. what area of study do you do, and what, do you, what, what are you up to these days? Um, well, I don't know, we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> no, no, we don't have to. Oh, okay, okay. I think it's like, I mean, I'll, I'll put it, you know, I study South Asia, um, so totally not U.S. history, and I got into that, you know, basically because I've just always been super anti-colonial. It's just like something that felt really right to me since I was a teenager. It inspired for a while, like, some love of Ireland and Celtophile mm -hmm. kind of stuff when I was a teen and then kind of moved on to other colonial subjects, anti-colonial subjects, looking more at the global South. So that's kind of how I came to South Asia. I mean, I had always, you know, the, the region just was interesting to me. Um, and then, but what really got me going in an academic sense was just because so much interesting literature has come out of South Asian studies and South Asian history that's like really specifically anti-colonial, post-colonial theory and all of that kind of stuff. So that's really what what got me into studying um, India. I mean, I study India and, and, and Bangladesh, basically. So like that region in Bengal, mostly. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I do. But I don't know if that's important because I feel also I think that's one thing I wanted to say at some point or maybe now at the beginning is a do good, it do enough it time now to do it because I worry you know I think doing something like this is good. I mean, just in the sense that I get to do something 
fun with my friend to help her with the project that she's working on. But then besides that, I mean, maybe I can provide some insight into ways um, people can explore anti-capitalism and kind of leftist politics. But I don't think that I am some sort of expert. And I think sometimes there can be this danger of like centering leaders in the left just in universities and not just in universities, but kind of at an elite level, like we are where we have PhDs, which is mostly something that pretty people from pretty elite backgrounds do, you know, I mean, it's, you know, people from more working class backgrounds, they are, there are some there, right? Obviously, but they're definitely a big minority and there's all sorts of structural issues that keep them out of grad school. So I don't want to like come off as like, oh, because I'm this expert in some sort of field and I have a PhD, that means I'm somehow privy to something better, I don't know, better ideas than other people. I'm definitely not. I want to just have that disclaimer. I'm definitely not like that. So Yeah, 100%. Well, I think you'll be pretty good to go because... I don't really conceive of this project as pointing anybody towards anything. It's not like, if you see on the website, I say like, we just talk about more personal feels and less hot takes, right? I'm more oh, kind yeah. of interested yeah, definitely. in, no, and that's kind interested of what I like in just about kind of too. trying to document like what the experience is like um, and less, yeah, we don't have any fucking advice for anybody. We don't know what to fucking do. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. I think that's a good, you know, I definitely, you know, I'm not any kind of expert and I'm certainly, especially this past year, you know, has really helped a lot, but I'm a gigantic introvert. I mostly Mm. hang out at home and with a small group of, of friends that I know really well. And that's pretty much what I do. I've, I've always had a really tough time getting involved in, kind of activism and broader groups. I mean, I've dabbled in them like yeah. a lot, but I just, I don't know. The introvert in, in me has, has trouble with that. So in that sense, I'm not, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't feel like I have like some kind of leftist pedigree off of which. Sure. To, sure. And that's <laughs> give any advice. Yeah. That's not, that's not what we're doing here. Cause I'm literally talking to all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> who, who yeah. Uh, yeah, are not big names at all. That's why I had to do it. Nobody else would. Um, yeah, no, actually, it's funny what you said about, like, being introverted. I really relate to that because it took me a long time to feel comfortable even with, like, going to protests and doing what one does at protests, you know, chanting and um like, learning to just kind of go with the flow of this larger group of people and it can be awkward when you're there and you don't know anybody, you know, like lots of times I've gone to a protest usually with somebody else, but a few times by myself where I didn't know a single person there. Um, and you, you, and it's awkward and it's hard. And I think that, um, likewise, I'm not, you know, I'm willing to, I, I go to lots of individual protests, but I'm very, very bad at this sort of organizing that requires you to be a people person. Cause I'm just not, 
um, which is really why I'm ill-suited to be doing the work I am for the union right now. Making cold calls to people all the time. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, that's that sounds yeah, painful. It's not my strong suit, but you know, uh, someone's gone out, I guess. Anyways, so uh, let's get going with your story then. Um, so the question I usually ask, right, is what is your earliest like political memory or your earliest memory of being aware of the political event or or politics in general and uh, just kind of being like, huh, or thinking about it long enough to make some sort of impression on you? Um, yeah, I think if we're just talking about politics and being political in general i grew up in a pretty political household like conservative wise in terms of being kind of christian nationalist evangelicals so they kind of have this idea that regular politics in the united states is kind of bad you know being a little skeptical of the parties both of the parties, but being, so I was sort of insulated from that. Like, I remember not really, my parents never were really vocal, like this presidential candidate or that. It kind of came up sometimes in the community um, because until I was 10, I went to like a a small uh, sort of evangelical school that was like part of our evangelical church back when I lived in good old Boise, Idaho. So sometimes conversations came up there, but I wasn't, for me, politics wasn't like the big P and it never really has been. I never really went through a time where for me, politics was a big P like Democrats or Republicans. It was always like partisan politics. It was never about partisan politics. It was always like, you know, growing up, it was issue related, you know, so things that my parents were concerned about were like being against abortion. So you know, when I was about 12 or so, I mean, I remember standing on the road with a sign saying abortion kills children with like a group from my parents' church and stuff. So that was probably my first kind of political, you know. And um, do you remember how you felt about that? Like, were you just kind of like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. So I'll help out. Or did you, were you into it? Were you like, yeah. I'm saving oh, babies. Oh, I was totally, I totally thought I was saving babies. Okay, you interesting. Know? I definitely, you know, I looked at it as like murder, you know, mm-hmm. and that this is, you know, society is like sanctioning murder of people. Yeah. And so how can you not stand against that? Right. Unless you hate people and love violence, you know. Hate so babies. that is what I thought. Yeah, I mean, hate babies, right? Yeah, I mean, and obviously, I I don't think that anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. Stopped, <laughs> thinking that a long time ago, really. So um, let's maybe <laughs> use that then as a way to segue into when things start to change. Do you remember when you first started thinking maybe abortion wasn't about hating babies? Um, or was it so gradual, it just kind of snuck in there? Well, I think, yeah, yeah, I mean, let's not talk specifically about the issue of abortion, because sure. maybe I got, like, side sidetracked on it. 
that issue because I think it more my main purpose was just to like point out that I kind of was raised in like a deeply like kind of political feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in a lot of ways that was even though it was a really conservative about things that I've come to change my mind about it did kind of instill me with certain attitudes that something's wrong with the world because right. evangelicalism is all about there's something really wrong with society and the world i mean so for example as a teen you know i feel like in a lot of ways i became pretty political like more political than a lot of other people my age mm-hmm. um pretty pretty early on and it was very rebellious against the the conservative tradition but it still kind of carried with it that sense of like society's immoral and corrupt people only care about money so for example i got you know one of the first things i got into was buy nothing day which since I have learned that the organization out of Canada that started that is kind of messed up. I've never heard about that. Like it's like, I miss that. uh, The ad busters. Mm. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I know because they started Occupy Wall Street. Well, I think they were involved, but I think that some of the people with ad busters and the idea behind buy nothing day You know, I've come to kind of like second guess that. I mean, it feels good. And especially as somebody coming out of an evangelical kind of milieu, you know, it felt right. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's it's a very moral criticism of capitalist. Yeah. I mean, it even even goes like it echoes back all the way to like, I mean, it echoes really, really far back, but just in more recent history, like Jimmy Carter, you know, talking about how people obsessed with things and buying of things. Right. It's like Jimmy Carter and Fresh and everyone. Right. You're welcome. Yeah. And as though it's, you know, the problem isn't structural. The problem is that mm-hmm. right. people are greedy. Sinful. And Sinfulness. It, and they're sinful. Right. Um, but nevertheless, you know, that was kind of one of my early political activities as a youngster. I kind of like found it think online I'm pretty sure I found it online I mean I wasn't a big online person and it was like the 90s so the online world wasn't so developed yet um dude and, that that's impressive but I did like, find it on the internet I'm pretty sure when I was a teenager um, online I was just like making websites to like celebrate my love of the movie Grease like <laughs> 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 you were like fucking getting into like the radical left Maybe too. I don't know. I some some of that stuff. Like I feel like my memory has gotten sharper about some things, and then foggier about (laughs) other things. So sometimes I find it really hard to totally remember. I was really into zines. Yeah, zines. So I loved you know the few times my parents might like let me go places and I'd go pick up zines in the East Bay or like that Santa is, Rosa that or like something so like that. And you were so, so maybe cool, man. <laughs> some, I might've picked it up from a zine. Maybe That's teenage totally Laura, possible. man, she, she was on top of her shit. She knew what was up. It's amazing. Well, and I've always, I feel like I've always, been very uncareful ideologically too and very non-purist i've always just been like picking 
things out of various bags as I come across them. Um, and also really influenced by, you know, my friends um, or boyfriend at the time or whatever, like getting kind of into like whatever the people around me were into. And since I was pretty nerdy, like I got ostracized a lot by other, you know, I, I was in an affluent neighborhood in a city that's like, you know, I don't know. It's not as shishi lala as a lot of other places in the Bay Area. I mean, the Bay Area has got a lot of really wealthy cities. So, you know, my city wasn't at the top, you know, but it was still fairly well off. And But the neighbor in particular where I grew up was very well off. Mm. And I think in retrospect now, that's why they were all really big assholes. They were like little spoiled terrible spoiled you know upper and middle class upper class um little girls that like to yeah you know make people feel bad not in not in like a stereotypical bullying type way but like they thought we're trying to help you because you wear used clothes you know kind of stuff like or whatever you know yeah yeah um they they found they found their way of making it clear to you where you where you where you laid or where you where you fell in the hierarchy. Yeah. Uh, so because of that, I would say I got pushed into hanging out with the people outside of the mainstream. Those people. That kind so of I immediately went pretty quickly, kind of hanging out with like people from much more um, working class or sometimes like lower middle class. I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the two in the U.S. Yeah, it gets really blurry. Um, So I started hanging out with more socioeconomically diverse friends and more subculture friends. And so they really kind of, you know, introduced me to a lot of different things. Um, Cool. Interesting. Um, I just wanted to comment on something like you said about how even though your politics uh you know kind of cultural politics in particular maybe at that age um underwent like this change like this idea that there this that there's something you should be morally outraged about remains I actually really relate to that except you know that that transition happened way way later in life for me but every now and then I think about it and I think about how weird it is that I'm like you know, uh, the polar opposite or, or almost the polar opposite of my, my parents' politics. But then, like, I look at this stuff that I filled out, you know, what about my political preferences when I was in high school? And so much of it is different. But this idea that, like, some, like, there is such a thing as right and wrong and people should try to do better, like, that's never changed, right? I just had totally fucked up ideas about what sins quote you know we should be concerned about but i was really mm-hmm. disturbed as a young girl by like you know people being shitheads and i remain really disturbed about that it's just i grew up and became an adult and understood came to understand what is actually unethical and what isn't right that was all that was all mixed up in my head but the idea that we should try to not be shitheads has remained yeah totally and you know i think too you know that's one of the things that 
you know, did kind of turn me off to the religion that I, I was raised in in the long term was because of the things that really resonated with me emotionally, those kinds of moralities that there are in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus says the last will become first yep. and the first will become last, right? So all of these kind of cool things about the Bible that resonated with me were not like the things that the people around me in the community cared about. Right. And, you know, they mostly cared about, you know, how do you, you know, what clothes do you wear and do you not use curse words and, yeah. you know, you don't drink or do drugs and you don't have sex out of out of marriage or be gay right. and you don't have abortions. And those were pretty much like kind of the main issues. Yeah, those were their priorities. You know, those were their priorities, yeah. you know, and to me, you know, those are all surface level things that really don't matter. And they're just kind of like more of a way to kind of create hierarchies, I think. And, you know, of course, I've come to kind of understand there's kind of a lot of inherent classism in in some of those moralities, I think, too. Absolutely. It's all about like creating a sort of, you know, high society vibe, you know, and that making sure that these other people that don't yeah it's all about being this way or look this way fucking you know? boring people on earth the american middle class my god they don't know how to have any fun i uh, obviously that's a stereotype well, I mean, but... to be, yeah and to be fair you know their kids are known for partying really hard in college yeah because they, they because they go fucking crazy <laughs> after being and living then... with their fucking parents for 18 years and now they're like Aah! And then they, you know, find, you know, they settle down and get married and and have, you know, three kids. Right. Because then they're like, whoa, that was too much. Like, I should go back to, like, how my parents. It's like, no, you need to find a fucking functional middle. (laughs) Anyways, okay. (laughs) Okay. So through um, these different influences and particularly the kind of groups you fall into, you sound like a very curious young woman and you're trying this out, trying that out. Um, Where would you think uh, the story goes next? Like, do we look particularly at high school or do, do we look particularly at undergrad? When's the next kind of big development um, in your mind? Um, well, I think I had, that's like, I mean, I would say undergrad probably. I mean, because all, all of my stuff from high school is, is much more just various kind of dabbling and, and searching and things that I learned, much like my interest in Buy Nothing Day. Like, I wrote this research paper for an English class on anarchism. Oh, cool. So I think that was kind of, you know... I was very much, you know, obviously I had grown up like imbued in Cold War rhetoric, um, you know, because my childhood was in the 80s. So I remember all of those Cold War era movies. Right. You know, and so it just didn't even really seem to be on my plate as an option and my kind of just like natural inherent like desire for egalitarianism and being like anti-hierarchy and anti-authoritarian which kind of came from my reaction to how I was raised and the community I grew up in pushed me a little bit more towards something like that 
Like, I loved to read, I read like a tiny bit of Bakunin. I d- don't think I understood him. <laughs> and I did a lot um, of that when I, I was younger, too. Like, reading stuff I did I, not understand, but I was like, oh, well, I'm going to read this because this man is smart and important. <laughs> and hearing about Emma Goldman nice. and like the workers' collectives in northern Spain, you know, before Franco and stuff. So, um, and all of those kinds of things really appealed to me a lot. So I think that was kind of where I was coming from more when I went to undergrad. Um, and, you know, I was definitely still continuing kind of the same route I did in high school, I would say, where I was kind of dabbling in everything in a much more frenzied fashion because I didn't have, you know, curfew or my parents like, you know, watching my every move. So, you know, I hung out with a lot of bohemian types um, because, well, you know, my undergrad was in Berkeley. So they're around, you know, there were a lot of, (laughs) there was like, I mean, and it was even before, like that was 1998 so I feel like I kind of got the end of a certain era of the East Bay that has you know started to change around then and especially massively after 2001 and it's not as recognizable anymore I mean there are definitely all sorts of people still in Berkeley but largely the rising rent prices has really yeah. pushed a lot of those people out so it's really you know tech bros are the thing in Berkeley now too just like in most of the other parts of the bay area they really changed the culture of the bay area like a lot um, I like that phrase tech bros so <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's not my invention i definitely it's fitting. it comes from it's other fitting, people though. but it's very fitting And so I think I was lucky enough to kind of catch the end of that before it totally declined. So, you know, I would kind of like hang out sometimes with people at the, they had like an anarchist collective called the long hall. (laughs) That's kind of across from that Irish bar on, on Shattuck Avenue. I I have no idea. I mean, I've been to Berkeley of course, but I don't um, know places like, yeah referentially and you know i hung out with you know white punk rock kids that like lived in squat houses and like hop trains and stuff like that and you know what else oh god and then politically on campus i would just basically talk to every single person that was around and and you know like if you go to berkeley you know part of the free speech movement was protecting this kind of like student club space so at least at that time i don't know if it's still like that but it's a very sacred space it's like the main uh, upper sprawl plaza where every student club or organization that's on campus has like a table and they're like passing out pamphlets. This is basically, you know, the trigger of the free speech movement was when they shut that down because they were getting involved in anti-racist politics. So it was a really sacred space, tons of people there. And I would talk to anyone. Uh, Didn't you say you were an introvert? This does not sound like introverted behavior. 
Yeah, see, I that's think a compliment because to me, that's like ballsy. Like I'm one of those people who like yeah. I'll say like hello to you or whatever. But like once if you're a stranger and you start talking to me, like you want to actually have a conversation with me, I'm like eyes to the ground, right ahead. Like you know, like I. Yeah, it's not my it's not my mo. So that to me, that's it. Like I always admired people who can just stop and have a conversation with a total stranger about something. I've never been one of those people. Yeah, and you know, I think it is something. I think I've becoming I've become more introverted as I've mm. aged. And you know, it's funny too because I did like my drama teacher in high school. My theater teacher was really into those personality tests, so we all did like it was like the Enneagram, that one that like Jesuits. Yeah, did. yeah. I, so I had done that, and I was an extrovert. But since my thirties, whenever I do one of those personality tests, I'm always an yeah, introvert. Okay. And so I think it's just, it's I think it's something that I learned over time, but. I mean, really, until I was like 22, 23, I was pretty much like a really big, you know, a fairly big. Expert, yeah, that's what it sounds know? like. Because like, I mean, talking I, about all the sorts of different people you hung out with, you got to you got to be willing and able to put yourself out there, you know, to find those people and find those groups and feel comfortable amongst them, um, particularly if, you know, you're not yourself uh, from, you know, a really kind of countercultural background, uh, which insofar as you were raised, right, by by a evangelical conservative family that was not the case so to me that's amazing like I think you should be pretty proud of your early 20s self yeah you know in some ways I kind of miss it a little bit but I feel like it's just like a different world now I don't know so it's kind of whatever I mean who knows you could who under who who can understand human personalities i think i personally think a lot of those those kinds of tests are they have like a grain of truth in them but they're mostly kind of like bs because who is it we're 100 yeah i mean we all know all of that stuff everybody's on spectrums right and so i probably hovered at the cusp because i do value more like close interactions, one-on-one interactions, small groups with people that you really get to know. I've never been like, let's go to the club. You know, I, I don't know. Like I do value those more introvert connections and I, and I always have. So I think it was always in there. So who knows why it changed, but it did. And so whatever, I was really into meeting everybody and, you know, and like I said but before, I was really uncareful in a lot of ways. I was just kind of doing, you know, from a very emotional kind of like gut feeling perspective, like whatever sounded nice. So like I went to have a cup of coffee with like the guy passing out Lyndon LaRouche pamphlets on campus. And like, I don't know, you should look him up. He's kind of like this. Sounds familiar. Sort of right leaning populist guy who sounds super critical. But isn't really. And he's like anti two party system and stuff. Yeah, but then when you look closer at him, he's a little shady, <laughs> you know. Um, so I went to coffee with him. I like, you know, took like the socialist, communist people's like newspapers and had them fight over me because they're like, oh, this girl's interested. Let's <laughs> and then you they're had like, to- 
You had the different, the different sects of the left fighting over your <laughs> legions. We need this one! Yeah, and so, and I basically, you know, went to a lot of protests, you know, I really liked the, there was this one that was pretty big at the time, uh, I want to say it was October 22nd, that was an anti-police brutality, you know, long before Black Lives Mm -hmm. Matter, and certainly race was an issue, obviously, since forever you know police brutality runs along racial lines but it wasn't specifically like black lives matter focusing on that it was just whatever i think they just called it something super simple like the march 22nd coalition or not march sorry october 22nd coalition or something like that and they were pretty big back then and then after 2001 i tried to go to some and they're just massively slashed and they didn't have them in San Francisco anymore. They had different ones in different cities. So I'd go and it'd be super small. But when I first went, they were huge, you know, so I really, I liked that. And for me, I really liked going to protests because they're really anonymous. And it was more when I tried to do like organizing stuff that I ran into problems and where I didn't want to be involved anymore. Oh God. And the other one too, like, They're, they have this reputation for being kind of shady and, like, like cult-like and sucking in right. people to do organizing for them. It's called the Western Service Workers Association. Okay. And so I kind of did some volunteering with them for about a year, almost, I think, or, like, a school year at any rate. Um, in Oakland, they had a branch in West Oakland, and I'd go there... And it was really interesting. And they had some people working with them that were really cool. And, like, I got to see, like, a former Black Panther speak at, like, one of their events. But then they started, like, having meetings with me. Just, like, one of the white guys that was kind of in charge of the chapter, like, wanted to start having, like, special meetings with me to, like, teach me ideas. That sounds I, like, showed him I did these, like, weird yeah, totally. It really creeped me out. And so I... Like, yeah, stopped. that's I that's not like a red basically. flag. That's like a red light blinking in your face and blaring. Yikes. Um, but that one particular individual aside, this is also really interesting to me how... So you're the second person we've talked to. I'm thinking of Jordan as the other one who kind of like dived into these kind of far right or far left, excuse me, you know... Um, organizations which were doing good work and you know obviously in the broadest strokes we share their politics but it's so funny because to me like I commend you guys for encountering something that seemed like not quite right or or out of joint or unhealthy and leaving that but not reacting reactionarily (laughs) you know not not like not becoming reactionary being like oh you know okay maybe this is kind of weird or kind of cultish or maybe there's something unhealthy going on here but not doing the thing that so many right uh people and former leftists have done particularly coming out of the 60s where they just all of a sudden become like fucking you know, neocons or far right talking heads or whatever, right? Because I feel like that's yeah. such an easy thing to fall into, right? That pe- people have a hard time distinguishing between the fact that humans are fallible and they and they will 
if the you know groups might form that don't have completely healthy or on point dynamics but that doesn't mean that like capitalism's super great actually <laughs> right yeah yeah totally and um and you know i you know i think another big influence on me too was i also um during undergrad got introduced into the medical cannabis scene, you know, by a, you know, a friend, you know, a really interesting, you know, one of the many interesting Berkeley characters that I hung out with, you know, a guy like probably, I don't know, like 20 or 30 years older than us that kind of hung out with us who was HIV positive. And so he was, you know, getting his medicine from that scene. And so he kind of like was like, oh, there's this really cool place because it was, you know, just when medical dispensaries were starting to open it up after, I think it was 1996 when um, medical cannabis passed in California. So it was really early on. They had just finally ironed it out where some cities were starting to let these clubs open up outside of San Francisco and so he's like, there's this really cool place. We have to show it to you. And so we went and it, I mean, my mind was just like blown because <laughs> it was like, just seemed so weird that this place could exist. There was like a reggae band playing there. And there was like all these old people. Like, <laughs> so you know? amazing. <laughs> and, and, you know, and other people would be so amazed going in there. They're like, this was like Amsterdam in the 1970s, <laughs> you know? And the, so, you know, they liked having a couple of, you know, Berkeley, energetic young Berkeley undergrads around. So quickly they were like, oh, come, you know, do work for us. So, you know, I did work, um, you know, in various capacities there, either um, in dispensaries, also like doing, they had activism groups, you know, the, first it was the Cannabis Action Network because they were the ones involved with passing the law in the first place. Um, and then that kind of morphed um, into Americans for Safe Access, which was like much more about kind of like ironing out the details and protecting doctors that prescribed patients with marijuana and like, you know, making sure that that legitimate patients or caregivers like weren't getting busted because they still got busted all the time. You know, the cops would just kind of ignore the law and be like, all right, well, prove right. it to a judge that you deserve, right. you know, medicine, this, this, you know, prescription means nothing right, to right. me, you know? Wow. That's a, that's a really so, interesting scene to, again, have like had your, you know, your have been waited into or to, to, ex it was, it was that's really on the cutting edge at and that I mean, time, right? That's like when weed yeah. is still considered by the majority of Americans as like some sort of crazy drug <laughs> you know yeah i mean it's totally changing now yeah obviously. i mean state after state after state is i think the latest one was virginia legalized i don't i don't I think, know but i think that's what i had possible. just heard so i mean probably pretty soon they'll they'll legalize it federally i i think that i, I would think yeah i think it, it's actually i don't know if it, i can't confirm nor nor uh falsify that but i wouldn't be terribly surprised because i think that um kind of the heart and soul of the anti-marijuana movement is like this very affluent white class right so i could see many many white people 
rapidly getting on board, right? It, as they have, right? Uh, oh, yeah. With it. Oh, yeah. There was, yeah. you know, white people always smoked weed. Always, right? I mean, it mm-hmm. started out as like a hippie thing, but I, I think it spread pretty quickly throughout the entire class structure. I don't know. I'm pulling stuff out of my ass now. I'm just speculating. <laughs> uh, but... No, so no okay, so so that's wild and totally cool, and you're super fucking hip undergrad. Um, <laughs> I was. I had a septum period. Ah, and everything, Laura, you're so cool. Uh, I shaved my head uh, at one point too. That was like my my short hair time. Fuck period, you, man! You know? I'm only catching up with all this shit now. God damn! Um, you are on top of it. I. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, it's just so amazing because, like, what equivalent time in my life, I was, like, so fucking uptight. Like, I, I had to pull, like, three sticks out of my ass before I started drinking. I mean, unbelievable. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. That's, why, that, that's really what I'm trying to say here. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to be impressed because, of course, it all happened kind of by sure. happy, happy I'm not, accident. I'm not like, flattering really... you. I'm just saying from my perspective, <laughs> right, like what what a wild how wild is it like how different people's experiences can be and yet here we are and we're in the same place more or less right politically and mm-hmm. you're like this lovely wonderful friend of mine Thank you. yeah Thank it's, you. it's just so funny because you know we're in such different places and we're going to undergrad so it's kind of it's just it's interesting anyways mo- yeah I mean, no, I just to comment, I mean, sometimes Juan Carlos, like my, my husband, you know, comments on that too. Just, I mean, our lives were so different growing up, right? You know, like me, an affluent white middle-class family in, in California and he growing up in dictatorship (laughs) on the other side of the planet. (laughs) Totally. And uh, it just seems so like, like, luckily we met when we did, because who knows, he probably would have thought I was like, totally, you know, oh, yeah. this kind of nutty, oh, yeah. sort of, you know, uncareful, like, Unse- white, rich Unserious girl. Unserious girl that's <laughs> you know, experimenting, yeah. Like, but you, exactly, yeah. but you were the real deal. I mean, this isn't this isn't a podcast about relationships, but uh, like same thing like with Iran and I. Like at the time that I was in high school, and I was like a super obnoxious, self righteous spaz. That's uh, I guess that's a short description. Uh, like he was out of the uh, IDF, spending his year in San Francisco. Uh, like doing all the drugs he could get his hands on and like rebelling against or basically recovering from the trauma of three years in the IDF, right? So, yeah, yeah. what a wild fucking like, and, and we've we've laughed about it now. I'm like, oh my God, if you'd met me back then, you would have thought I was the most annoying person on the world, in the world. So, yeah, I get people grow up. Who knew? Yeah. Um, the thing is yeah, that so totally. many people don't yeah, though. Because- so many people don't actually grow up. But yeah, and I mean, I was really adventurous, and I wouldn't change any of that stuff. But I mean, there was a lot of ways that, you know, I think my development emotionally as a human and politically too. I mean, the two are intertwined. I don't need to like separate them. Like, 
was stunted in quite a number of ways. So I don't certainly don't want to make myself sound really cool. I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> because I think, you know, through all of that, it was just so easy for me to shift from mm, like one idea okay, to right. the next to the next. And, you know, I had the, these similar general feelings about it or everything, but I was never like, like how Jordan talks about really getting into yeah, you know, Marxism, yeah. Jordan went about it quite systematically kind of with that, particularly yeah. much more systematically. And I was much more uncareful, which also meant that there were times where I went through thinking sure. things that are now kind sure. of embarrassing. I mean, <laughs> right? although you know, you, know? you were you were experimenting, you were trying different stuff out. Yeah, like you said, you were kind of open to different things. Whereas me at the exact same age, my problem was the opposite. I was incredibly rigid and and it took so long for me to let go of my worldview that I'd had since basically I, you know, in middle school, as, as soon as I was having political thoughts, um, and it, and therefore it was really painful. Like it, it took a lot of me fucking up and a lot of me being really fucking depressed to finally say, oh, maybe I'm wrong about everything. Maybe that's my problem. <laughs> Anyways. Um, okay. So let's move into grad school because, uh, FYI, everyone, Laura gave a very good suggestion that we keep this hour. <laughs> So that you all can finish uh, before falling asleep. So um, what happens in, in grad school? I mean, maybe not much. Maybe you feel like you're pretty set there. What's the story? Oh, no, no. I think grad school really helped me a lot um, in terms of giving more structure to what I thought. Yeah. You know? Um, more framework. And definitely... Yeah, much more framework, um, and I still have these sort of strong anti-authoritarian feelings in me, so I still really idealize, like, the anarcho-syndicalists. I really idealize them, like, a lot, but there's, like, also a part of me that now has come through more careful study to not be so suspicious mm -hmm. of the state, you know, and kind of see how it can be useful. And it's also something that uh, when I was kind of dabbling in things like anarchy, I was like kind of imagining this, this idea about being anti-state in anarchism, but really what it was coming from is having just kind of picked up on this like anti-statism that mm -hmm. I grew up with. Yeah, know? I mean, but that's one um, of the really weird aspects of American politics, right? And maybe it's similar elsewhere, but I can't speak to it. But in American politics, the far right and the far left are very, very different places. But there are a couple of points which you can sort of forgive people who aren't um, terribly familiar with the particulars of thinking that they're the same or thinking that they're similar and anti-statism is one of them right like yeah. um yeah. yeah the anarchist left and the far right are both deeply uh rooted in this peculiarly american suspicion of the state oh yeah so like yeah so like i've read some emma goldman now and I'm like, I mean, obviously she's not like an American mm -hmm. libertarian at all, 
because even though she was anti-state, you know, she still thought that there should be equality and not like privately owned capital and stuff like that, you know, so she definitely wasn't. But some of the things she says sounds kind of like libertarians, you know, because she's just very anti-state, you know. And of course, you know, it's easy to be anti-American. Because it sucks, balls! really (laughs) not much good that they've done, really, you know? Yeah. Um, And, you know, they have, they still have, like, a better welfare state than many places in the global south where neoliberalism or free markets and deregulation are taken to their height not you know, not without a huge amount world, of helping right. from the United States, right? Yeah, with a huge amount of yeah. helping from the United States, right? Um, so the, the so the U.S. still has like a few, you know, safeguard. You know, they still have they have way more regulations than than India, for example, or most places mm-hmm. in Latin America, really. You know, um, you know, because of that enforced uh, global global order. Um, so I think what what happened in grad that, school? I think the main yeah. point of that was to oh yeah yeah so I think grad school yeah definitely really the systematic reading rather than like the sporadic right, right. kind of picking and choosing a random reading that I had right. done before um, helped me solidify and helped me like kind of purge some of the libertarian esque kind of tendencies, even though I was never part of the Libertarian Party or voted Libertarian. And oftentimes when Libertarians from the official Libertarian Party would speak, you know, I would disagree with them. So I was like never Libertarian, but, you know, I think it helped me kind of like target and think more critically about those sort of unthought about elements that vaguely kind of mirror uh, libertarianism and kind of, or at least the danger about that, you know, how to try to be more careful about those things, because I would still say I'm anti-authoritarian, of course. And, you know, and my ideal society is still some, some kind of like decentralized kind of anarcho-syndicalist community where, you know, with, very limited, you know, I mean, not any private capital or anything like that, and only worker-run collectives and, you know, things like that, you know, like, like we're a northern Spanish (laughs) village or something. That's definitely still my ideal. So it's still there. I think I learned how to Mm -hmm. target that and not kind of like fall into these traps where you like say something. Reinforces something you don't want to reinforce. more... Yeah. And I think also it really helped me with race a lot because like most white Americans, I always viewed myself of as course. being anti-racist. But, but you didn't, yeah. you didn't know, really understand really... what that meant. <laughs> so yeah, 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 exactly. Right. You know, I had, you know, previously thought, you know, whatever, just the classic, like you thought it was like just about like personal anti-bigotry and like, um, and not about trying to do something or at least talking about the systemic issues uh, behind, you know, right. racial inequality. So it definitely helped with that a lot uh, as well. <laughs> and all the traveling oh, yeah. that I did, 
during grad school for doing research mm-hmm. helped me a lot too. Yeah. You know, and I think that helped a lot when I was younger. And I mean, not that there's plenty of white affluent, like white Americans that travel a lot and they don't learn sure. anything from traveling. But you it's know, I've where and how one like, travels, <laughs> right? Exactly. Like if you can learn things, you know, because from the U.S. we so often um, think about things purely from the perspective of the U.S., even like anti-racist activists, you know, like sometimes they'll like it kind of, you know, they'll make statements about the police that are specific just to the United States that Mm -hmm. don't reflect the rest of the world. You know, and sometimes it kind of bothers me, you know, so I think, you know, that sort of learned travel along with like reading good um, academic works and studies and things like that really helped me, you know, interrogate my U.S. centric viewpoint, like beyond what I had thought I I, I already did, you know, more. I think that's super valuable, not only for the intellectual reason of comparative understanding is like the best understanding, I think, right? Like comparative history should be done so much more, but also just, it's so easy when you're on the left in the United States to get like your head stuck up the ass of the United States because it upsets you so often, um, which is totally understandable. But Mm -hmm. on the other hand, when it, when being angry and upset about the United States consumes all your time and intellectual energy, then you lose a larger perspective that will just simply help you understand the fucking world better and how human beings, you know, work better. Um, Because the U.S. is a really weird place. It's not everywhere, right? It's so peculiar. So it doesn't help. It doesn't help anything to carry American exceptionalism into our leftism, right? Yeah, definitely not. I mean, because I definitely think the future of the left is global in the global 100%. south as in the third world. You know, I mean, and it is global in general, but, you know, I hope for like a real movement that really actually makes changes. I think it's got to go, got to come not from Europe, not from, you know, the United States. It's, mm. it's going to come from like the people yeah. that have got as it always has. Right. It's, it's, it's stick, never you know? been the fucking, uh, uh, yeah. Ones that have the long and a stick that start it. It's, it's the people who are the most fucked. So what, well, yeah, mm. you're totally right. Why, why would we expect it to come out of the U S or Europe? Um, okay. So our wrap up questions are, what is the best thing and the worst thing about being on the left? And you can take that in whatever order works the best. Oof. Oof. I don't know. I mean, I think the best and the worst things. I think, I mean, the best is, is that... I mean, it's more optimistic. <laughs> That's interesting. It, I mean, of course, obviously, we're really, I mean, because there's something about leftist ideas that's mm-hmm. utopian, right? It's like imagining, I mean, I know there's a lot of criticism. There's a lot of criticism, and that's what I do, too. I mean, that's like basically my work is mostly criticizing colonialism, right? But like, 
there's also this chance to kind of imagine like a better world and a better way to be that isn't really possible in Mm -hmm. other viewpoints so much. So I think that's kind of inspiring on an artistic and emotional level, you know, and just like helps you kind of feel like there's possibilities for me, like, you know, to not get totally depressed. You're absolutely right. It's funny. I haven't really Um, thought about it that way. But yeah, you're right, you know, because there's nothing like that, that inspiring, that's nothing, there's not much that speaks to the human spirit about technocratic liberalism, right? <laughs> like, I'm so excited yeah, about this yeah. policy tinker we get to do, which will, you know, mean that we now use uh, slightly different technology and algorithms to allocate sparse resources slightly better. Yes! <laughs> yeah, 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 not really. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's like, so in that sense, that sort of positivity has like, also helped me, you know, with my own introspection and helping me kind of balance myself in the academic world that's like, so super competitive. And not just grad school and academia. I mean, academia is, you know, it's like hyper competitive. It really is. But you know, our society oh, yeah, no, I mean, academia is too, you know, is like just a re- in the U.S., like outside of academia, yeah, yeah. they're really competitive and it's really yeah. easy oh, to absolutely. get caught I mean, up in it's it. interesting, you like, know, some, many of the people I've talked to for this, like actually grad school was a pivotal part of their radicalization, not so much because of like what they read, but because of their experience with like the machine, like being ground up by the machine of academia, right? So, yeah, I do not think that academics should congratulate themselves on the state of the university or academia. I think it's just a fucking torture chamber for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. I mean, it's, you know, because it's so much, it's like you're under, it's like a... Yeah, I don't know, yes, like a medieval, medieval like system where you're like beholden yeah, exactly. to your advisor. So it just depends on I like, know, your and, that, and if they're not, or not sorry, or if they're like you're fucked. You're <laughs> fucked. <laughs> totally. Yeah, or these like stories of like academic superstars and Ivy Leagues like making their grad students like do their <laughs> laundry well, and like clean their that, house. If they're lucky enough not to be to like, sexually harassed <laughs> by them, right? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. that can easily Okay, be so this is getting dark. What's yeah. Oh, and we're going to go darker. So here we go. You want it darker? Ask Leonard Cohen and Laura says, "Yes." Um Sorry. What's the worst? <laughs> oh yes, and the worst is. Um... Oh yes, and the worst is. Um... <laughs> no, I mean I don't think there's anything that bad <laughs> about amazing. it. Really, I mean I think you're special because I feel like I've done a pretty good job. I've I've never been well. Sometimes I have trouble creating boundaries with people okay. really close mm-hmm. to me, you know, but with everybody else, I usually don't have that big of a problem putting boundaries. So if I start to feel like, you know, I mean, some people 
complain about the very real element of like leftists like fighting amongst themselves. Um, so whenever I've been in situations like that, I don't know, I pretty successfully just kind of like, okay, <laughs> I, you know, or just like put sure. some sort of distance, like as soon as something does become dark for yeah, me. Yeah, like the, you're, you do the of, self-care thing, and you're like, this is not worth my time and energy. And I'm pretty sure resolving this uh, or fighting out the sectarian dispute with you is not going to actually help make the world a better place. So bye. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the the bad parts would be, you know, yeah. when movies, yeah. like, fail, you know? But unfortunately, I mean, I feel like a lot of, especially in university spaces, at least, and this reminds me that Boots Riley is somebody who's been super critical about how mm-hmm. Universities yeah. are that, not. Yeah, that's where that's not that's not that's not where the you know left. It's not where the revolution's really coming out of. So not the university. Having spent a lot of time at universities, like I haven't taken. I mean, maybe this sounds bad, but I haven't taken a lot of those leftist mm-hmm. organizing groups that that seriously. Whereas, like maybe you know, like failures of labor organizations or like saving a squat house like out in the community or something like that when those fail right, absolutely then that's sad and not only is and, like, that it has but like whatever yeah, yeah no, the university totally. who cares <laughs> I don't know. it's just like it's usually right just like it's just, really it's just egos people, and feelings you know, and people and, like, and all their shit and just the human you know the human inevitability towards drama but yeah when when people get kicked out of their homes or an uprising, you know, uh, in the global south fails to stop a, you know, a right wing coup. Like that's for real. Totally. Yeah. So that it can be a little overwhelming. I think I was kind of like blessed with a inherent sort of um, um, optimism that was also helped by you know growing up in an affluent enough like family that you know I still wore used clothes but, but like, you, and went to public school but like yeah you know, we never had to worry about money so I think it, so it's easy for me to be like the optimist you know or I'm just naturally optimistic and probably if I had had a different yeah, childhood just, that was just, much more stressful basically and you weren't traumatized maybe I wouldn't child. be <laughs> that's <know>. helpful <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 I mean at least not in that way right. no you know not in those extreme ways so I think so for whatever various reasons, I have enough optimism that, like, I don't get maybe as overwhelmed as I could be um, about those failures. I mean, I mean, but fuck, like, the, that article that you posted that was really good by, by Aviva Chomsky. She's awesome. She has a great book about uh, that's really easy to read for nice. audience about the Cuban Shit, I want to read that. Like, that's, that's actually really good. It's like meant... It's oh, I have to get also not you know, on this podcast, but kind since of like, you you know stuff about the Spanish Civil War, I need to get a, a good a good recommendation for you on uh, for a, a, an accessible beginner's book. So I'll, I know the basics about the Spanish Civil War, but I want to like do the beginning detail dive. So not like the book for someone who already knows all the details, but someone who knows the basics. Anyways, okay, last question. Sorry. <laughs> um. Do you have a recommendation for us of anything? 
TV show, podcast, something that's easy to consume. Because we, we, we're telling each other all the time, like, what books to read. But something that, like, and it doesn't have to be political. Like, seriously, it could be, like, say yes to the dress. Just say why. <laughs> I think it might be helpful. Okay, well, let me tell you, um, you know, one of my friends turned me on to this oh. Irish folk band that took me down a rabbit hole of like seeing, I mean, I had my own like hippie Irish folk bands that I liked when I was young, but I guess right now there's like a flowering of kind of new music in Ireland. That's, you know, much more, it's like pretty radical politically, or at least most of them are pretty radical politically. And so there's like a whole folk scene where they're kind of revitalizing and changing, you know, Irish folk music. Um, So the band I first got turned on is Lankham. It's L-A-N as in Nancy K. Lankham. Okay. So these are the people that I should go see in concert next time I'm in Ireland. Cool. Yeah, yeah, they're awesome. I mean, they're you should check them out. They have some great videos, and and, I mean, they're very they're very leftist, actually. You know, like if you listen to interviews and some of their songs, um, they are. And then through them, I went through this whole rabbit hole, like all these other folk bands from this folk revival right now, amongst super young people. (laughs) I mean, they make me feel kind of old, you know. But it's, you know, this young scene in Dublin. And then also in their Tiny Desk concert, he was wearing this T-shirt that said kneecap. And somebody was like, good job wearing the kneecap T-shirt. Like, you know, way to shout out to them. I was like, who's that? So then I like looked them up and they're an Irish rap group out of Belfast that raps in Irish, in Irish language. And they are also like really... I mean, from hardcore Catholic Belfast. Interesting. Working class background. And that really, they have a lot more humor in their rap. But, I mean, it's really I'm awesome. them down, too. Um, to see rap, rap in Irish. Why not, man? Um, and, obviously, their name is kind of having fun with the IRA connection because, you know, they used to. You know, because the police wouldn't police in the Catholic areas, so they would take on right, and then and bust, sometimes, yeah, and we, I, yeah, we got that story told to us actually when we were in Belfast. <laughs> All right, well, um, thank you so yeah. much for doing this, Laura. This is super awesome, fun, happy times, and um, talk to you soon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We yeah, we suck totally. at, at doing mean, these, uh, making these um, dates. But um, w- any any uh, final shout out before I hit stop on our, our recording here? Um, I mean, I haven't mentioned Chile really at all. But I live mm. here now, and that's another inspiration. So I think because then they're they're in the middle of the process of. Right writing a new constitution, you know, getting rid of the one right. that was created Which during is like, the dictatorship I'm... and writing a new constitution. And so it's been really inspiring to be here. Um, and so if I find, actually, I mean, I'll have to look around a little bit, but there's some really short kind of articles, like actually an old friend of mine from my master's program, who's a Chilena American, like she's like a dual citizen and she's, um, 
you know, written some pretty good kind of synopses nice. from an anarchist feminist perspective, because that's what she is. So yeah, actually I'll do that. And, and then I'll and put those links uh, in the post uh, for the episode. Yeah. Uh, so people can check it out if they want. Yeah. People, I love pretending then, you know, that we she, actually have an audience. It's really fun. She's a... <laughs> Yeah, she's a, for any of you listening, she's a historian as well. So you can check her out, but she writes really interesting stuff academically and from, you know, political perspectives. Her her name's uh, Romina, Romina Akami Green, or Rioja Green, I guess. I mean, yeah. when I met her, she went by Akami, but I think it's that works. Ro- whatever, Romina Green. <laughs> and she's written really great stuff about um, Chilean history, uh, feminism, anarchism, and kind of the current and, social movement that's going on in Chile. And I'm also going to use so that shout out for you just to do a little uh, preview next, next time. Uh, we'll be back with uh, your lovely husband, Juan Carlos, and so we'll hear even more about the history of Chile. So, all right, till then, uh, what's up? Have a good day.